We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Hi, curious minds out there in synchronicity radio land. Welcome to CC with BB. Connecting with Coincidence with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. That's me. This is the only radio show in the world dedicated to the study of coincidences, synchronicity, and serendipity. We are coming to you through the X-Zone Broadcast Network, located in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and broadcasting all over the world. What is the relationship between mind and brain? Does the brain produce consciousness, or does the greater consciousness produce the brain? How do we understand how mind and brain are, interact with each other. I'm a psychiatrist. I study this question in my office. I help people with medications and psychotherapy. I work in both the mind and the brain. You need your mind to recognize the coincidence and your brain to talk about it. Synchronicity spoken here. Coincidences alert us to possible causal connections not recognized by modern science. If you study your own coincidences, you will increase your curiosity about how reality works. The phrase connecting with coincidence is my coincidence brand. It is the name of my book, my Psychology Today blog, my website, and my social media sites. To find any and all of them, please put connecting with coincidence in your search engine. Would you like to know how sensitive you are to coincidences? Take the weird coincidence survey on my website. I've been teaching marriage and family therapy for the last few weeks to psychiatric residents at the University of Virginia. And uh, last Tuesday, I was telling them as part of our discussion uh, why I wanted to have children. I told them that I wanted to have a son because of the patrilinear demand of my father and grandfather and great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather. Just after saying this, my cell phone rang, and it was my son. It's quite a coincidence to have him calling me at that time. And I tried to point that out to the residents, that something about family activates something, emotion for sure, that makes coincidences more likely to happen. Next week on the show... Eben Alexander will appear, and he's a neurosurgeon who's written a book, written several books on from near-death experiences. He tells me that his adopted father was a neurosurgeon who inspired Eben to become a neurosurgeon also. As a research and clinical focus, Dr. Alexander selected subarachnoid hemorrhage, SAH, which is a bleed into the brain from aneurysms that can maim and kill people. He had contacted the children's home several times uh, where he, from which he was adopted and was told that his birth parents had shown no interest in contacting him. Then in sixth grade, one of his sons began a genealogy project leading Eben to contact the children's home. This time he made contact with his birth family, but was also told they had gotten married, which was a huge surprise to him because he always thought that his parents had gone their separate ways. Even more surprising, they had had three more children, and he had never heard about it until he contacted the children's home again on behalf of his son. 
the children home children's home had contact information for his birth family because of a certain potentially hereditary affliction that had impacted several biological family members this hereditary disease was subarachnoid hemorrhage Evans research focus his maternal grandfather and two maternal aunts had each suffered from subarachnoid hemorrhages two of whom had died how did he come up with that as a focus for his neurosurgeon surgery activities and that was just what made it possible for him to contact his birth family our guest today is Robert Hopke and we will be talking about families and coincidences uh, during this program. Robert Hopke is a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice in Berkeley, California. Along with his numerous articles and reviews published throughout the world, he is the author of the national bestseller, There Are No Accidents, Synchronicity and the Stories of Our Lives, which has been translated into over two dozen languages and the forthcoming follow-up book, Unexpected Pieces of Our Hearts, Synchronicity, and the Stories of Our Families. His scholarly work in the field of Jungian psychology includes Jung, Jungians, and homosexuality, Men's Dreams, Men's Healing, a guided tour of the collected work of C.G. Jung, and The Persona, Where Sacred Meets Profane. Rob's book, There Are No Accidents, was a great inspiration to me in writing mine because in that book Rob was able to show readers and is still showing readers how often coincidences happen in families as well as other parts of people's lives but particularly in families we're going to have the opportunity to wonder why with Rob how does it happen what are the stories and particularly what are some of Rob's stories that tell us there's something going on with coincidences and the people that we love we'll continue this in the next segment Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. President of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. 
I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers. Have you wondered who built Stonehenge and for what reason? Why are crop circles found in the same region as Stonehenge and elsewhere? Are crop circles a hoax or are they created with technologies that we have little knowledge of? Who built the pyramids in Egypt and also in other countries? How and why were they built? Was the Titanic switched with the Britannic as part of a gigantic insurance fraud or for more insidious reasons? What caused the Tunguska event when trees were flattened over an 800 square mile area in Siberia? Will the new insights be too good to be true? Well, that will depend on what you are prepared to believe. Please join us as we start on this journey together. For more information on Too Good To Be True, visit www.xzbn.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. A great pleasure to have Rob Hopke on our program today. Uh, Rob Hopke has published many books, several books, very Jungian-focused, and is most popular and still enduring 20 years later, uh, There Are No Accidents. Rob, welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. It's great to talk with you, Bernie. It's a pleasure to have you here. And is your book out, your new one on families? No, not yet. It is, um, it's going to be published in Italy, it turns out, uh, first, and that's coming out in September. Interestingly enough, um, There Are No Accidents was published 20 years ago and uh, translated into a bunch of different languages, including Italy. And for some reason, it's extremely popular in Italy. It's still in print after 20 years. So they're going to be re-releasing There Are No Accidents in a new edition. And then the second book, which I had long planned, um, came out of the first book, this second book called Unexpected Pieces of Our Heart, Synchronicity and the Stories of Our Families. I had a bunch of family stories that people had told me for the first book, uh, There Are No Accidents, but I, didn't really ha- I hadn't really planned to deal with that topic in that book. So for the last years, I've been planning this book on synchronicity and family relationships because I had so many stories. So I went about getting some new stories, and then in the interim, a lot of uh, kind of very uh, impactful uh, synchronistic events happened to me in the course of my life around my families. So it all sort of came together, and uh, I finally got it together to write the book after all of these years. So it'll be coming out in Italy, and we're looking for an American publisher. Um, now, how come a guy who's had such a huge bestseller can't get an American publisher so easily? Well, I think that's the state of American culture at this point. I mean, what's, what happens with the publishing industry, of course, is that... Um, if you're a celebrity, <laughs> you get your book published, and if you're trying to do something sort of self-helpy, uh, that's pretty easy to get published too. But uh, books like this that I think I think have very, um, you know, have a very specialized sort of focus, and in particular the way that I approach it, I approach it as you well know, kind of from a very classically young yes. point of view. Yes, right? you do. Yes, um, you do. It, it it reads as sort of academic or scholarly, but I'm pretty confident. I mean, there are no accidents. Was pretty popular. It's as you, as your program and all of your work uh, shows. Synchronicity is a, a topic of perennial interest for people. So I'm pretty confident about it. Well, and of sh- course, we all have families. 
So <laughs> families, <laughs> like we all come out of fa- we all come out of families. So families is also a perennial interest. Of, well, part uh, part of what I'm trying to ask about is the change of state of consciousness about synchronicity, because your book came out really before the internet uh, had much activity, uh, and had a, and it still has a, a, a lot of legs to keep going with. Uh, I had to go through a whole bunch of publishers, and uh, you know, my book was turned down by some of the finest publishing companies. You know that story. Right. And finally got a publisher, um, but it, it just doesn't seem to the, – the concept doesn't seem to be as attractive, partly because they're always looking for um, top sellers. Um, but maybe that's the main reason. I was just surprised that you couldn't. But let's talk about Italy. Um, the the Italian version uh, of mine, the only one that was, was translated into another language, um, was – reflected the Italians' interest in coincidences. What's going on in Italy that you think uh, is making your book so popular there? Well, if we want to launch into the synchronicity and family stories, I mean, I think it actually has to do with me because, you know, my name is Robert Hopke, H-O-P-C-K-E. But that is, I was adopted at birth. You know, you told even Eben's story, you know, in your intro. I was adopted at birth um, by the Hopkes, and um, I found my birth mother back in 1990 through a series of synchronistic events, and she's Italian-American. Huh. Now, long before I knew I was ethnically, genetically Italian-American, um, I studied Italian. I was, a ma- I, was the, I was an Italian major at Georgetown. I lived in Florence, Italy. People <laughs> often mistook me for Italian when I was there because, I, you know, when I was younger, I had dark, curly hair. You know, I was like, I looked Italian. And so when I went looking for my birth mother, I had a very strong, strong suspicion I was Italian-American, and it turned out I was. So that's also very interesting because people see the Hopke name, which is the name of my adoptive parents, and they don't really know that I'm sort of ethnically Italian. So it isn't too surprising, synchronistically enough, that my book would be super popular in Italy. I'm like, it's just really funny. It's like of all the European countries, it's been published in a lot of different languages. That is the one that's enduring. And I think there's a certain kind of Italian sensibility, I guess I might say, sort of unconsciously, that the Italians pick up on. Yeah. And of course, you know, in the second book, um, because I've had a good and long relationship with Mondadori over there, uh, I speak Italian fluently. Um, I've done another book for them on a Jungian topic. And then this book, of course, I actually sort of tailored for their market, I have to say. But I think in Italy, it's interesting. I, don't, I can't really explain it. I mean, I think Americans tend to be a little bit on the concrete and thinking side, and Italians tend to be a little bit more on the creative, emotional, and intuitive side. I mean, I just think as cultures. So I think um, I have an entire Italian Facebook page, fan page, for There Are No Accidents, which in Italian wow. is Nulla Succede Per Caso. <laughs> and... Um, you know, so I have I get contacted all the time by Italian folks. It's very interesting. I think there's a different sensibility over there than there here is here in the U.S. But you and I here, are doing here, our part for it here in the U.S., aren't we? <laughs> here in Charlottesville, I had to look up and notice that I had a bunch of friends uh, who were interested in consciousness in various ways who were Italian. I said, "What yeah. am I doing hanging around with all these Italians?" <laughs> and then, and then. Uh, and then I get this idea to put some of my stories from my book into make songs out of them. I want right. to make songs out of my stories. Uh, and uh, through a series of coincidences, I got a guy from Florence. Uh, uh-huh. who, and he and I have done seven songs, and they're just about finished and able to be heard like radio ready. So another Italian <laughs> from it's Florence. Great, isn't it? Well, you know, next it'll be Andrea Bocelli. He'll be singing this. <laughs> we got to no, translate. It is translate very it interesting, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah. That's okay. We don't. We, we'll leave it at there. But at that, but there's something about Italy for you in a different way, and than it is for me. I just been hanging around with these guys, and right. and, and there's something Italian. Something Italian here. What are we going to do with it? So, well, the story of my birth mother. I'll tell you the story of my birth please mother. Please do that. So, I go, I go about, um, in 1990, I had a bunch of dreams in my own Jungian therapy about my birth parents. And my analyst kept saying, you need to find your birth parents, you need to find your birth parents. And when you're adopted, you have a real sense of loyalty and gratitude toward your adoptive parents. And both yeah. of my parents were a little bit insecure about the adoption, I have to say. So I never really went for it. But I did, finally, in 1990. 
I contacted the agency, the same social worker. I was only 27, so the same social worker who had handled my adoption when I was born was still there at the agency 27 years later. I've been in practice 35, so now I get it, you know. But back then, it was like, wow, we, you know, the same social worker. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> it turned out that, you know, she could release a lot of non-identifying information, but she couldn't release the identifying information in New Jersey. So I, but I wanted to know, you know, so I knew I was Italian-American from that point, but I wanted to know where the family was from in Italy, because I had lived in Italy, I'd studied in Italy, I'd been all over the place. So the only way to do that was to find out, to actually institute a search for her. And like you said in Eben's story, they originally told me my birth parents really hadn't um, put any kind of a note on the file that they were okay with being contacted. So it was kind of a little bit of a complicated thing. So I paid the $300. They go about doing the search. I don't hear anything. My late husband and I were going to Italy for a vacation, which we did about every other year. And I really wanted to find out where the family was from before I went. So I put some pressure on them. Meanwhile, I had this dream. And I had this dream, and it's a very, it's like a one-line dream. It says, your mother's name is Gloria. Well, my Hopke mother's name is Gloria Hopke. You know, I'm like, okay. I go, I talk about it with a therapist. I'm like, well, of course, you know, it's sort of like obvious. You know, her name is Gloria. That's my mother's name, right? So I talk to the agency, and the agency is giving me all kinds of excuses as to why they haven't found her. And I, I just got kind of pissed off. I'm a marriage and family therapist. I, I knew they hadn't done anything. I knew, you know, this is, again, before the Internet, right? This is 1990. And so I'm like, okay, I could have instituted my own search. So I got kind of pissed off, and I said to him, now this was a Lutheran social services agency, so I said to him, God wants me to know who she is. And the, past, and the guy says, how do you know God wants you to know? I said, an angel told me her name in a dream. All right? I'm like, totally pulling this out of my ass. I'm like, wow. okay. And he's like, He's like, oh, yeah? I said, so no, you go get that file, and you open it up, and I'm going to tell you what her name is. And if I get her name right, you better give me her identifying information. Hey, wow, that's about far it. out and groovy, man. That is really something. <laughs> so he opens the file up, and I said, her name is Gloria, which he screams. He drops the phone, and it turns out my birth mother's name is also Gloria. Both my mother's names are Gloria, which is wow. bizarre. And so he was flipped out. But I had had this dream that said my mother's name was Gloria, and everyone just assumed it was my adoptive mother's name. Well, my actual birth mother's name is Gloria as well. So that's how I got her information, and I was talking to her the next day. I mean, I got her address. I went to the Berkeley Public Library. I looked up there. I looked her up. I'm like, it was very easy to get in contact with her. And I've known her, you know, now since 1990, so for the last however many years that is, what, 27 years? Yeah. And I know where the family's from. I've been to the towns where my birth parent, my uh, grandparents emigrated from in Italy. You know, it was very interesting, but also very interesting. She's the second youngest of 14, <laughs> and I'm the youngest of 65 cousins in this generation. I'm the only one that speaks Italian, the one that was adopted out at birth, who never grew up Italian, right? I'm the only one that speaks Italian. I'm the only one that's lived in Italy. So my cousins come to me for their information when they want to go to Italy and find the towns, you know, and sort of speak to them. But it was totally synchronistic. It was very synchronistic. And it was one of those things that actually sort of inspired me to do. There are no accidents. And also, I think, you know, I think it, it, it speaks to, like most synchronistic events do, this kind of unconscious connection we have with our past, with our ancestry, that pops up in these unexpected ways, consciously and deliberately, which is what we, you know, you and I call a synchronistic event. Especially when you're looking. Especially, well, when you're open to it, in, well, when you're looking for sure. I mean, I have to say, you know, as you do, too, I'm sure people come up to me all the time and they're like, how can I make these synchronistic events happen to me? And I'm like, well, they're kind of a-causal. You don't make them happen. They're coincidences. But you definitely have to stay open to it, right? I mean, if I had dismissed that dream or if I had not really understood the significance of it and hadn't used it in the way I used how it did, how did you How did you go to the birth mother as Gloria when you had an adoptive mother as Gloria? How did you make that jump? Well, I didn't, to tell you the truth. It was really because I had had this dream, and I'd just sort of gotten emotionally um, caught up in the process when I was talking to the um, social worker at the uh, agency. I just made that up. 
you know, like I, I just kind of made it up. And I'm like, it turned out to be true, which is even more kind of interesting. Well, that, that you know? to me, that to me, the Gloria dream is fantastic too. But that you at that moment came up with the subterfuge of the, of saying, <laughs> I know the name. That was the inspired moment in this for me, listening well, to this story. But that's because you and I take synchronistic events seriously, right? Like, uh, the only reason I did that was because I had had that dream. Yeah. Now, it would have been easy to dismiss that dream, and this is what I say to the people that talk to me, my clients, the people that read the book, etc. If you dismiss your intuitions, then you're going to dismiss the possibility of synchronicity in your life. And, and we, we're, coming to the end, we're coming to the end of this segment, so let's right. continue what you need to do. That's a good idea. are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom. Don't miss Shamanic Counselor and Indigenously Trained Dream Decoder Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth influenced her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private tarot readings, international journeys, a meditative CD, as well as her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate this earthwalk, creating a deeper connection to yourself and all that is. Find this and more at Sandy's website, starwalkervisions.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? There are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. 
Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen. Welcome back to CC with BB, connecting with coincidence with Dr. Bernie Beitman. That's me. And our guest is Rob Hopke, a man deeply immersed in coincidences, I think probably in much of his life, who just told us a great story about him and his birth family. And just how was it, how is it that Rob is able to tune in, be open to coincidences. What is it about him, and what does he? What is he able to tell others about openness to synchronicity? Yeah, you know, I think that is really the key word, openness. Um, you know, I, I, as you know, I approached I've approached the topic in a fairly classical way, and when Jung coined that term back in 1950, he meant it as an inner principle of making meaning for our lives. You know, it's the way in which our inner psyche, our interior experience and how we make meaning meets the outside world and the external events of our world. So that's what he means by a causal connecting principle. It's a way that uh, events outside are connected with what's going on inside with us. So it really does require an attitude of openness, of inquiry, of interior space, you know. So like in the story I just told, if I had dismissed that dream, or if I wasn't even paying attention to my dreams, if I'm not even paying attention to my inner life, it's virtually impossible then for synchronistic events to occur, because they're about a connection between who we are and what's going on outside. And that's why I use the concept of story, like we weave our own story together. So people will often, skeptics will often say, well, you know, people are just making this up. And I'm like, well, that's kind of the point. You know, we make (laughs) meaning out of the events of our lives. You know, the meaning isn't of our lives isn't under a rock out there somewhere. Like we, we, it's an active process of dialogue. So if you pay attention to what's going on inside and you stay open, as you just said, to um, the possibility that your external life will connect with it, that's when synchronicities begin to occur for people. Ah. And they don't occur from the outside in, they occur from the inside out, right? Except, you know, as you know from this research, it's so interesting. It is so interesting because it's hard not to go down the causal route, you know? Like, I have a story in the new book about a woman who, um, at med school at UCSF out here, spent a lot of time on Clement Street where there's a lot of uh, Chinese jewelry shops looking at all of these pearl necklaces. She didn't say a word to her husband about any of this, right? And she's like, you know, these are really beautiful, but she's sort of overwhelmed by her medical practice, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it turns out her husband just very synchronistically ended up in that neighborhood, which is nowhere near where they lived in San Francisco, ended up buying her the pearl necklace that she had been looking at. Beautiful, beautiful. It's really like, okay, how did they, you know, like it's sometimes these synchronistic events are so specific, it's hard not to like imagine there isn't some kind of causality going on. You know, I mean, what Jung would say is that that's complete chance, but there's such a specificity to some of these things. Same thing happened between me and my late husband. I had, we were shopping at Neiman Marcus when it first opened in San Francisco, and he was off in another department, and I was looking at this very particular scarf. It was a silk scarf with angels on it. And for some reason, um, that Christmas, he went back to Neiman Marcus and bought it for me. I still well, have it. Well, I, just... I, I, I develop uh, causal um, ideas first uh, before I get to mystery, which I think Unis Mundus right. tends to be, uh, although that. I, I don't. Uh, I, we can talk another time about the, the constellation of archetypes and its involvement with this. But, but I, I can visualize some how the thought fields of two people who are close together get merged, and information gets transferred, and that information then leads the person to uh, the item that uh, we're we're talking about. That's my exactly. way of imagining it. And I try to look for potential causal um, explanations before I go to. 
what's so much fun is to try to understand uh, this this mystery that we're part of, this greater consciousness that we're part of. But let's come back to the the question uh, that that we, we want to ask you is why do you think synchronistic events happen so often between family members? Well, that is actually the point of my book. So the point of my book, um, and I think this comes out of my marriage and family practice, to tell yes. you the truth, is yes. there's so much discussion about families primarily as sort of a biological and social entity, and uh-huh. I think the concept of family is uh, essentially psychological and archetypal. I mean, I think our experience of family is an archetypal experience. It's primarily a psychological experience. I come to this, of course, as a gay man because so many of our families as gay and lesbian people are sort of chosen and created. And so our sense of family, you know, comes from something that we have, uh, not something that's necessarily biological, not our actual biological children, but something we have created and feel for ourselves. But, of course, we all come from families, right? And so that's what I was sort of the most intrigued by is sort of the archetypal dimension of this. And, of course, the synchronistic synchronistic events between family members which occur spontaneously bring people's attention i found to their connections to their families connections to their family relationships that they didn't even know they had and so i feel like it's there's this unconscious archetypal quality of family that i think actually lays the groundwork for some of the synchronistic events that have occurred to the people that i spoke to in the course of interviewing this book and that have actually occurred to me too you know as i just said i mean i think I didn't know I was Italian. Here it comes to my attention. And yet that is an essential my, – my family relationships are an essential part of who I am. Like it's part of the ground of my being. And so I feel like that's where synchronistic events often occur to bring people's attention, I think, to their connections with other family members that they sometimes didn't know they have, sometimes need to appreciate in a different or deeper way. Um, I, I came to this somewhat – through in the research for the original book, um, I, I was hearing a lot of stories of uh, people's connections to family members in the course of the death and dying process. Yes. Right? I mean, I think, as you know, as we often talk about in the field, uh, synchronicities occur in times of transition for people, and that's a big transition. So, you know, that was one way that I, I heard about the various consolatory synchronicities. Um, a woman whose uh, son was killed uh, in a car accident, <clears throat> was in the depths of her depression. This is in the first book. It's how I end the first book. Her name is Charlotte. Her son Todd was going back to school here in California, got killed in a car accident after Christmas break. And um, she was, of course, you know, completely devastated in the depths of her depression. She was sitting at home one day saying, I just wish I could talk to him again. I wish I could talk to him again. And the, and the doorbell rang. Well, it turns out Todd had written this lovely thank you letter to his parents on his way out of town, mailed it. But, for some, but because of the accident, it didn't actually end up getting mailed. And so friends of his afterwards at school finally mailed it. They put the wrong address on it. It got shunted all over California five months after it should have been delivered it arrived at the moment when she's saying I wish I could talk to him again and she was like so I was hearing these stories of these connections with family members that had this deep abiding impact and it sort of made me widen my view a bit you know how do we get together You've come up with you've come up with an interesting adjective, consolatory uh, synchronicities. Uh, I think yeah. that's I think that's great because I I, I have them also um, described, uh, and they a lot of them invo- involve birds and flowers. Well, isn't that interesting? Yeah, I mean, my grandmother's my German grandmother's uh, superstition is that uh, when birds fly in the house, it, it's a presage of someone's death. And she claims it's happened many times. She claimed it happened many times in the course of her life, that you know her, her grandmother actually died after a bird flew in the house. So I think it's very interesting. But the flowers, too. I mean, I think one aspect of synchronistic events that I spoke, speak about in my work is the symbolic quality, right? Um, usually a synchronistic event hinges on a particular symbol, that somebody needs to look at in their life that has a particular meaning and that has a, actually maybe a multiplicity of meanings for them and for the family. And so, you know, I, I think the symbolic quality of what occurs 
in a synchronistic event opens someone's eyes to the symbolic <laughs> quality of what our life should be. Let me let me give you a couple of examples because uh, they and see what you think. Uh, a woman um, gave birth and her baby five died five days later, and she was at a picnic um, with friends, uh, still feeling very very sad. And uh, a small bird came along and landed on her breast. And that bird stayed there for quite a while, uh, while everybody looked and she looked. And finally, she decided to shoo the bird away. And that became a kind of uh, release of some of the grief she felt for her child. You know, a similar situation happened when my um, best friend from college died of HIV back in the 80s. I was sitting in my backyard. He was Italian to Italian-American, and I had just harvested all the basil that I had grown in my garden. And uh-huh. It was like August. It was August. And um, <clears throat> I was harvesting the basil, and I was thinking, you know, I'm making pesto is what I do with it. Archetypal That's a good meal, thing right? to do with it. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm just crying about Michael, and this butterfly came flying down, sat on the pile of basil in front of me here in my deck here in Berkeley, California. And I swear to God, it just looked at me. Uh-huh. And it looked at me and it looked at me and it looked at me. And I'm like, and then it occurred to me, I'm like, oh my God, that's Michael's spirit. Michael came to visit. And it flew away. As soon as I said that in my head, it flew away. And um, now every time I see a butterfly in the yard, I feel like, oh, Michael's come to visit, you know? Uh-huh. Cultures the- worldwide have had stories like this forever. Uh, you know, flying... Bees, butterflies, birds, all sort of symbolic of and, the spirit. And the flower that most represented the deceased person blooms at a time of year when no flowers bloom, like November it's or December. It's so interesting. I know. That's another aspect. That's why I think synchronicity is of perennial interest. I think that also sort of ties in maybe why the U.S. is a little bit kind of on the fence about it and why we, you and I have a difficult time getting maybe our work published. Um, I, I think what it, there's a symbolic quality to our lives that Jung wanted to bring forward. Yes, this concept. Yes, yes. And this concept in particular opens it up. And of course, it's a symbol. So in other words, it can't be empirically proven, but it's intuitively right. That's uh-huh. why I keep, you know, when I've had to argue with some of my editors about it, I had to say, what you have to do is you have to tap into what it meant for the person telling the story, because that's, you know, it's easy for you and me as therapists, I think, to do, because that's our stock and trade, right? I right. mean, we're constantly looking at people's inner experience and understanding it. But I feel like it, it's really a challenge, I think, for a very sort of uh, thinking culture, uh, very thinking, empirical, materialistic culture like the U.S., but I also think it. I think it also opens up the delightful, enchanted quality of the narrative of our lives as well. And I think that's why it's so popular. We have another minute left in this segment, Rob, uh, and the, the need to be able to not only be open, but to be willing to um, imbue something with symbolic, uh, subjective uh, ideas and feelings. Maybe what. It causes the difficulty we're seeing between uh, American thinking and Italian thinking. Uh, it very well, very well. I mean, again, Italian culture is well known for its feeling function, and I think um, uh, a synchronistic event is almost defined as significant. Right? We're talking about a meaningful coincidence. One of the ways I define meaning is through emotional impact. It's meaningful for you if it's had an emotional impact, which means you have to be in touch with your feeling life in order to have a synchronicity. That's, that's a nice definition of meaningful. Uh, I, I, would, I often have trouble with the various <laughs> definitions of meaning, and just if, if you got an emotion, that makes it meaningful. That's one of the several different ones. We've come to the end of this segment. Uh, we're going to talk about transitions in family and synchronicity in the next segment. Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? 
Well, now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome back to CC with BB, Connecting with Coincidence, and our wonderful guest, Rob Hopke, who's got a forthcoming book on families and synchronicity. And Rob, what are some of these transitional points in family relationships that increase the probability of coincidences? Well, I, in the book, I start with how families even get started, which is two people meeting, right? And I had, a lo- I had a lot of stories about that in the first book, you know, how people met their partners. Um, yes. What I thought was kind of interesting was some, you know, I had even more stories. Um, 
a couple. Uh, there's this great. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the series Chef's Table. It's on Netflix, and oh. which they uh, basically focus each episode on a world class chef. And there's this wonderful Italian chef, Massimo Bottura, whose restaurant <laughs> I synchronistically went to. And him and his wife actually told this great story right there uh, at the beginning about how they showed up at this cafe from two different worlds. He had just emigrated from Italy. She was a New Yorker. They ended up kind of crossing paths on the same day, actually literally bumping into one another on their first day. She is a waiter. He working there in the kitchen. That's how their love affair got started. Then it turned out that he took a job in Italy, went back to Italy, and through a wild series of coincidences, she ended up kind of going there finally. And um, it was one of those great love stories in which everything didn't run smoothly, right? There was a separation. But it seemed very clear that, you know, little by little, um, they were meant to be together because of the various coincidences that had brought them together. And so that was one, that's one category. It was how families even got started with sort uh-huh. of these amazing coincidences that brought people together. Um, a therapist friend of mine, Joanna, tells a story in the book about how her grandparents actually met. Um, he was on leave in San Francisco during World War II and ended up going to the wrong bar. Again, this is way before cell phones, right? So his buddies are going to a bar. He gets lost. He goes into the wrong bar. He bumps into this pair of sisters. And, and that is actually how he ended up meeting Joanna's grandmother, completely by chance. Well, right, um, right place, right place, wrong place, right time. I mean, it's... Exactly. It, it, I love those stories, to tell you the truth, because I feel like... One of the things we get really wrapped up into is control, right? I mean, we're told we need to be masters of our fate and control our lives. And the most delightful things about these uh, these stories, I think, are um, the way in which chance actually plays such a huge role in our lives that we don't even really want to acknowledge at times. But if we're open to it, right? I mean, if he could be he, that, you know, his, her grandfather could have been very wrapped up in having been in the wrong place. But he happened to be open to where he ended up in life. And I often say that to my clients, to the people that read the book. I'm like, you need to be open to the way in which your, if your plans go wrong, there may be a reason for it. And you need to be open to what that reason is. Oh, that, that, that's, that, uh, talk a little bit more about how you use synchronicity in your practice, please. Um, yeah, I think <clears throat> that is one of the things that I think, um, you know, we have a very rational mind. And, of course, I, I think most of us like to be in control of our lives. And obviously, a lot of folks, I often say this to my clients, people generally come into psychotherapy in times of transition, yeah. and often in times of transition that they didn't want, right? The death of somebody, um, a divorce, uh, illness is another you know, reason. They're making a transition from one stage, one condition, one state of life that they've chosen to something that they probably didn't want. Right. And the concept of synchronicity has been really helpful to me because not only in my own personal experiences, but I've often realized that when something occurs to us by chance that we didn't want, we can, in fact, move forward and make a meaning of it. So that's why I use the concept of story. I think, you know, um, in all really good narratives, there are unexpected events that occur to the protagonists that yep. become a vital part of the plot. Right. And the reason that happens in fiction is because that happens in our real lives. Yes. Right? We couldn't write those stories if it didn't happen in our real life. In other words, fiction comes out of our real experience, our own yes. capacity to make meaning. Very and good. So that's what I have to say. That's how I use it in my practice. I'm like, let's. I know this didn't want you didn't want this to happen, and in fact, a lot of times these things are genuine tragedies. Let's look at what it means. Let's look at how you can make this a part of your story. And that, it, that, isn't that um, slightly saying try to make something positive and useful out of it? Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say the meaning is positive all the time. I wouldn't. You know, I think that's the thing that I think Americans, with their positivism and their optimism, kind of get into. You know, I don't think. Um, I think sometimes things are genuine tragedies. You know, genuine tragedies. Um, I have a really wonderful story from my friend Karen Ehrlichman in this book, the forthcoming book, about how her husband, her um, brother and her father went to Yad Vashem 
in Jerusalem when they were visiting Italy, uh, Israel, and uh, they came across uh, the records of relatives who had been killed in the Holocaust and their survivors. And they had made this connection suddenly. It, all of these records were in Spanish, but weirdly, um, Roy Ehrlichman, who, you know, a Jewish psychiatrist from New York, ended up somehow, just by random chance, speaking Spanish fluently. It was the one language he spoke fluently. So here he is at Yad Vashem in Israel. There are all of the Ehrlichman records. He's able to read them because he can read Spanish. And he got in contact with all of these relatives, the surviving relatives of their relatives who had been killed in the Holocaust. And there was this wonderful rapprochement and a coming together. But again, it was very bittersweet, again, because it had been built on this horrible tragedy that had occurred to the family during the Holocaust. So I feel like there's a coming together, there's a breaking apart, and there's a coming together. And so I think the synchronistic events can be very... Um, what can I say? They can be very dual in their meaning. There can be like the story of Charlotte and Todd. Her her son was killed, and yet there is a kind of reintegration that can occur. So I always sort of warn people away from trying to make a positive, optimistic meaning of it, because tragedies genuinely occur. Illnesses really happen. People really do die. Those are not good things in terms of their impact in our lives. They're very difficult to survive. And yet sometimes meaning can be a meaning can be made out of those events. And synchronistic events, particularly in our family histories, can lead us forward into what those meanings might be. And please elaborate more on the darker side of synchronistic events. Well, um I, I always think of it and you know, Jung I, I Jung's Jung's known to have said every defeat for the ego is a victory for the self. In other words, Jung please define, please, for our audience, please define, <laughs> please define self. Okay. Yeah, please. exactly, yeah. right. So what Jung thought our ego was this tiny little place we live, which we're conscious of. And this is sort of, it's sort of like the driver in the driver's seat of the car. But the car is our self. In other words, there's a larger personality that is very complex, that is not uh, synonymous with our ego. So what he means by that is when we get into our head, when we get about in the idea that we're running our own lives and that nothing, you know, that we can actually plot our own fate, chance events will occur which show the falsity of that, the limited quality of our ego. And that's when we're challenged to relativize the ego or enlarge our sense of self to include these events that have, in fact, genuinely occurred. Now, the ego genuinely experiences those as bad right? That's something I did not want to have occur. I missed my plane. This death happened. I didn't want this illness. But those are all, I think, challenges to us to enlarge our sense of self and to encompass what genuinely occurs. Otherwise, we miss our lives. I mean, that's what our life is. Our life is a series of chance events. Now, we do have agency and we do exercise our own will with regard to what we do day to day. But I think this, what I like about the synchronistic uh, field of research that you and I are in is that these chance events actually open people up to another half of how it is to live, which is more flexible, wider, more complicated, um, actually, in, I think, ultimately more fulfilling. You you sound different from what I read in your book uh, re regarding chance, because you used a causal quite often and the Jungian ideas to uh, somewhat explain activation of archetypes included uh, coincidences. Now you're pretty much saying, and I don't think this is all what you're saying, that uh, we have chance events and we can make meaning out of them. What's very interesting about Jung, and again, I went back to read Jung you know, even more deeply this time in writing this book, um, and what's interesting, I, I actually quote a, a series of um, incidents that he talks about with regard to his family members from his autobiography. We have about uh, a minute his, uh, and a half left, Rob. Yeah, uh, for his autobiography. His autobiography is Memories, Dreams, Reflections. It's sort yes. of an unofficial book, right, so to speak. Right. It's not his official writings. Right. And he comes really close to saying what you just said earlier in this program. In other words, he says... He had this dream that presaged uh, his grandson's accident, almost yeah. drowned. Yeah. And he said, if the unconscious can give us all kinds of information, why can't it give us information about the future? 
right? Mm-hmm. In other words, he comes right up to the line of saying what you said earlier, you know, in other words, that we have an awareness and that we can receive information that the synchronistic events in that fact, in that sense are caused by an extrasensory perception, but he doesn't move over the line. So it's sort of very, it's very interesting with Jung to sort of see him come very close to it. And I think probably unofficially his view is like yours, very much. But I sort of try to stay as a good Jungian, like on my side of the line around that, and just look at how the psyche operates to make meaning of these chance events. And I'll leave the, uh, I don't know, the physics and the philosophy of it, I think, to other folks that are a little bit more qualified than I. Oh, that is a beautiful statement of your own limitations <laughs> and how you're thinking. Because I have mine, too, and we need to have them. And another limitation is that we've come to the end of our radio program for today. Thank you very much for being on the program, Rob. It's delightful, Bernie. Thanks so much for your work over all these years. It's been great. Thank you.